Hey everyone, welcome back. Another episode of a modern nonprofit podcast. I'm Tasha Anderson, the host here. And today I've brought along my friend, Bill. Bill Cummings is the what founder and CEO, I guess, or we all have different titles, but sure. of, an, of, of a company that helps with coaching, messaging, and design. Think about brand building, uh, all of your marketing, the appearance, the impressions of your nonprofit. Bill works in so many of the different areas. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But he works specifically with nonprofits. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm really excited to get going on this. I'm, I'm an accountant by day. My credentials say by day. But, you know, as we've met a couple of times now, you know, marketing is a huge passion of mine. And I really, when we started talking about some other type of work, and I invited you to come on this, this podcast, I was really excited to start talking about this because I think the nonprofit space um, is not able to or has not historically invested enough into their kind of brand, if you will. So thanks for joining us. And I'm, yeah. I'm excited to start talking about some of these things. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. So speaking of, you know, we both own for-profit businesses and you work sometimes with for-profit businesses. And, and of course, we're trying to market and brand our own business. So I always like to think about what do I do as a for-profit versus what I advise my clients, our clients, right, on the nonprofit side. So if you were to describe your experience and the difference between these two sectors, what do you think is similar with these two for-profit and nonprofit? And then what is unique about these two different types of businesses? Yeah, I, I think in general, the over time, the difference has narrowed. I think years mm -hmm. ago, we saw businesses and nonprofits as very different entities in our communities. But I think the difference has narrowed. And really, from my perspective, the main difference that remains is that legally, nonprofits can't distribute mm -hmm. funds, you know, to private entities, you know, or profits to those, you know, to those entities. Other than that, I think, there's more things that are similar than that are different, for sure. I love that. I love that because I, I say that all the time, right? Um, and I think that especially now, um, nonprofits are trying to operate more in the entrepreneurial sense um, because they have to. Like, you know, yeah. we hear about diversifying funding. They want more control over the funding and the work that they do and how they do it. So, so I completely yeah. agree with that. So along those same lines, so you've led and supported so many different organizations, been introduced to so many different organizations. What are the two or three things that consistently stand out from your perspective that an organization might be able to improve or grow upon? Yeah. Well, I think back to your first question is, you know, seeing yourself as an entity that functions like a business, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I heard a lot, there's a, you know, a little bit of a you know, focus lately on the idea that the word nonprofit really is a misnomer, that mm -hmm. we should be focused on for impact rather than being a nonprofit, you know? So mm -hmm. I think getting out of the mindset that we're in this to not make a profit, like we shouldn't be known mm -hmm. for what we're not doing. We should be known for what we are doing. So I think that's mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. Um, and then I also think one thing that's kind of bothered me and me, maybe this is because I was a CEO of a nonprofit organization. So I'm tuned into this, but but as I work with multiple nonprofits all over the country and organizations that are working all over the world, it really kind of pains me to see that compensation is there's a big gap from, you know, what somebody who's a leader and a really strong leader in the nonprofit space is making compared compared to what they could make in the for-profit space. So a lot of really yeah. good and talented leaders are being recruited away from nonprofits to the for-profit world where they're just like, hey, in today's world and in our economy and families and support, like 
I've got to make the shift, you know? So my yeah. hope would be that we just pay people more. Um, another thing is I think, you know, often um, boards of directors, which are great people who are investing volunteer hours, countless hours mm -hmm. to invest in these organizations, but oftentimes get caught in the weeds and end up micromanaging organizations. Um, like for instance, I just talked to a CEO who's in a new role in New York City and she let me know that she has to get permission from the board to spend any more than $250. And this is a mm -hmm. very well-funded organization. And it just mm -hmm. handcuffs her from being able to move things forward on a day-to-day -day basis where she's waiting for approval from a board you know, to do that. And then I also think, and this is specific to our work, but I think nonprofits really could improve how they portray themselves, how they're seen in the world, you know, through their leadership, through their branding, through their messaging, um, to just elevate their game as far as how they're perceived by the people that they're trying to reach and connect with in their communities. I love all of those things that you just mentioned. Uh, I also used to work for a nonprofit, I think, as you know, um, not as CEO, but I was essentially like a chief financial officer. And, yeah. you know, I've seen all of those things that you just mentioned, and I think they're all huge problems. And I especially, I mean, certainly the low compensation is something, you know, we've all that have worked in this space have, have kind of battled. And and then also boards that don't really understand their function. You yeah. know, we, we've all seen instances of that. I still see instances of that kind of in this role that I'm in now. Um, but I think the branding, and it's really interesting. I was kind of thinking about this. Um, branding, I think is so important for anything, the success of anything, and I say thing, meaning business, yeah. for-profit, nonprofit, and people, right? So I actively recruit and interview employees, and it's very interesting to me that I was kind of thinking the other day that there should be a whole self-branding course in college now, because the, the days of just, you know, going in for an interview initially and you just send in your resume and then you send a thank you letter through the mail like so much of it's virtual and so many people now have an online presence even right out of college like with LinkedIn or you know the, the appearance of their resume and just how do you make yourself stand out um, I think branding is just one of those things that everything all of the things could could benefit from that so, yeah I agree. Right. I think if I could interject there and just say like, yeah. yes, like we're, we are a brand, like we, how we present ourselves to the world is a, is a brand. And thankfully there's a lot of information that's in the last five years, especially it's been out there. That's talking a lot about authenticity and how we present ourselves mm -hmm. to the world, that it doesn't have to be this polished corporate, you know, kind of vibe that we can be ourselves. Yeah. We can show up in the world yeah. as ourselves. I mean, while, you know, making sure we're you know, cleaned up and presenting ourselves mm -hmm. to the world in a way that's like, you know, presentable, but yet we can be ourselves, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and people are part of brand. So to back to the last yeah. question, I think another thing that organizations can do to grow is the people that they're presenting to their communities are part of their brand. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of organizations that are working, especially in marginalized communities, if the people that are presented as leaders of that organization from a leadership structure or the board don't represent the people that are being served in that community, that's off brand in my mind. That's not, and that, yes, and that sounds agree. superficial, but there should be much more depth to the reasons for changing those. Let's, we don't want diversity for the sake of diversity. We want that to be the heart of an organization, but that's, that's yeah. a part of your identity and who you are and how you present yourself to your community. Completely agree. So let's, you know, we kind of hinted on a little bit in the last question, but kind of something else that that's an ongoing problem, just the, the complete, 
lack of capacity for nonprofit leaders, right? They're, they're busy, they're overwhelmed, they're burnout, running organizations with so many different resources that are so limited, funding, staffing, space, all of these things. Um, what, with, with that in mind, what are ways that leaders can rise above that to be more effective and impactful? Now, we talk about that a lot in our firm about the accounting side, but I think we could use that theme amongst many of the different areas within the business of the nonprofit. What are some of the areas that you've seen could be um, maybe done more efficiently and, and therefore be more impactful? Sure. Well, I mean, you mentioned it as part of your question is just the how overwhelmed nonprofit leaders are. They're scrambling around, making sure the programs are running smoothly. They're running around to the next, you know, donor meeting and Mm -hmm. planning for the you know, next annual report and just keeping their heads above water in many, in many cases. Um, but I think investing in yourself as a leader is, mm -hmm. is primary and investing in staff development. So there's constantly that challenge out there to grow as leaders and grow as teams, mm -hmm. which I think that think it leads to another point that I think of, and that is shared leadership, I think is really vital in the world we live in today. And I think mm -hmm. the days of the top down leadership structure are over and those mm -hmm. who are hanging on to it might lose really good people because they, you have really solid people in your organization. They're just longing for a seat at the table because they have something to offer more than maybe they're being tapped into for. So I think just more flattened leadership structures where there's still leaders or a leader who bears the weight of responsibility, there'll always be one person who cares about the work more deeply than everybody else in the team. And that's okay. Not everybody's okay. going to take it home with them like the leader does or a founder might. Um, but I think calling people around a table, you know, a diverse group of people who can speak to the leadership, you know, of the organization from multiple perspectives is vital, um, especially in the world that we're, you know, growing into these days. Um, and then I also think clarity from that leadership. So clear vision, clear mission, mm -hmm. trying to eliminate mission drift, you know, um, and then messaging and design that goes with that. And that's again, specific our work, but that that's what I'm thinking about every day. So that's what that's, a, that's what's at the top of my mind. It's just making sure that the messaging of your organization is super clear and that your design mm -hmm. is kind of right up there with any other entity, for-profit entity in your in your community that's connecting with people and that you know gets people's attention. I love that. You you mentioned something about shared leadership, and I I want to um, give my thoughts on that too. Yeah. We talk a lot, especially on my side. We talk about accountability. We talk about transparency, and and those words are generally true with like programmatic outcomes. I think in financial numbers, right? And I hear a lot of that when I'm on calls with prospective clients of ours and they say, you know, I, I have greater accountability. I, I need greater account. We need greater accountability. The board wants it or whatever, fill in the blank, right? And my observation oftentimes is an organization could be quite large. Let's say, you know, 75, 80 people. And the accountability of all of the things really rests on just one to three people mm. maybe. Yeah. Um, and where it's been really interesting for me as an entrepreneur now that left the nonprofit space and now started my own firm, I have different service areas, I have different departments, I have different people um, that all report to me. Like there's really not many things that I own the full responsibility of. And I, and I noticed as a CFO, it was like, you know, the CEO, ultimately the CFO for the numbers, 
um, the, the fundraising person, right, that's responsible for meeting the fundraising quota or use for quota because, you know, we're in the for-profit sales world, but, you know, the goal um, and then sometimes, but not always, the programmatic people that are responsible for the outcomes of the program. And I think one of the things that I've noticed that the leaders of nonprofits hold all of that responsibility. And I see this oftentimes to the degree that not even financial statements by department are shared by you know, the CEO, we're not, we're not holding different department leaders responsible for their little divisions of the business. And I've said this so many times that I feel like really only in the nonprofit world, is that really the case? Because I think another big difference between the nonprofit and the for-profit world, if you are a division leader of anything in business, you have a couple key responsibilities for the success of your role. And that's going to be meeting your financial numbers. So whether you're in sales, you're in marketing, you're in distribution, you're in, you know, of course, like warehousing, you're um, whatever it could be. I'm just thinking anything. Like everyone knows their numbers specific to their particular department, even though they're not the accountant, right? And second to that, they have a duty and responsibility to develop their team into A players. So how can you effectively delegate and how can you hold your team responsible for the subset of responsibilities that you've been delegated, right? And I think in the nonprofit world, we don't do that so much so I have a case study that um, an organization I was working with had pages and pages and pages of programmatic outcomes by funder, right? And they basically showed this list. It was five pages front and back on an Excel spreadsheet printed out. That's how many outcomes they were subject to. The, the, the frontline workers, meaning the social workers that are going into these homes and, and doing counseling for families and individuals, they had no idea, no idea who was funding them, no idea what the outcomes were, no idea how much the organization mm. had committed to services delivered, how many hours of, of therapy that they needed or how many groups of therapy or, or what the success criteria, 90% of, you know, of our participants are going to achieve these results. They had no idea, right? And so going back to kind of nonprofits, yeah. leaders being overwhelmed or burnt out, it, I, as running a full-time business, my entire team from my chief operating officer and business partner all the way down to our intern knows how much we're going to achieve financially. Like, where are we at with respect to those? How many clients are in the pipeline? How many new clients did we bring on board? Like, what clients are we falling behind on? Or what deadlines did we not meet? Um, all of the things everybody knows. And I think that for me as a leader to share that weight helps me tremendously fight yeah. the overwhelming feeling and burnout. So I don't know, I don't yeah. know if you had the same experience mm -hmm. or not, but. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hit on so many good, important points. I think that, you know, nonprofit leaders need to be thinking about. And I, I, I think of a specific example in the fundraising, on the fundraising side of nonprofits. One thing I've always communicated is everybody's fundraising all the time. There's not just mm -hmm. a development team that's focused on fundraising. Everything all of us do speak to our capacity to fundraise because if programs aren't running well then we can't provide good you know solid impact numbers you know to our mm -hmm. constituents so that the people who are doing the branding and messaging design and marketing have something to to show you know that's credible that really mm -hmm. shows a reason why people should continue to invest in our work so i think you know so many organizations both for-profit and nonprofit, have too often operated in silos where you're you know, you got different departments, you know, arguing for budget money, like the program people are saying, we need more program money, the fundraising people, we need more fundraising dollars to get after to raise more money. And by doing it the way that you just described in your organization, it, it makes everybody feel like, hey, we're all on the same team. We're not competing against each other for dollars. We're 
let's supporting each other with the investment of those dollars, you know? So I think that's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. So many different areas, but I think it kind of speaks to like messaging and branding, like we're talking about, but another example of, of how businesses do this and I started incorporating. So we've always talked in the nonprofit world that everybody's responsible for fundraising. Right. Um, and more and more organizations are starting to feel like more and more people need to be involved in the financial management and the responsibility of the organization. Another area that I've noticed in nonprofits that are struck, it's a bit of a struggle is staffing, retention, hiring, building culture. And I just read a book, um, Who by Jeff Smart, and it talks a lot about interviewing and recruiting and, and how to build an A player team. And one of the things that I really took away from that, that I love so much about the book, so much that I'm now requiring every single person on my team, because everyone on my team could be subject to interviewing a potential candidate in any given time. So it makes sense that they all have to read it now. Sure. Um, it's fairly short read, but uh, it really speaks to it's the entire team's responsibility. Everyone on the team is responsible for recruiting. So identifying top talent, understanding how we recruit and screen for top talent and building a culture of we only accept A players to build our team. So I think that's another area that, again, in silo, oh, it's the HR person or it's the accountant that just so happened to inherit the HR responsibilities. It's their job to find all of this talent. And so how do we, you know, leaders are, have a responsibility to develop that yes. talent and, and search for it and recruit it. So you probably know as a growing business owner, the struggle for that. And there's, and I will confess, there's some of these things that I still up until recently shouldered the weight of hiring, training, developing team members and maintaining a culture that was primarily on my shoulders. And, and a few months ago, I just, you know, we're not doing this anymore. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. It's not sustainable. So speaking yeah. of balance um, <laughs> and leadership, um, one other thing I want to talk about, tell us a little bit more about balancing the leadership messaging and design that we've kind of been talking about weaving in through, but I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. So the balance of leadership, messaging and design, what are some of the things that, that you do that's central to your work to help nonprofits achieve these? Yeah. Yeah, I think on the leadership side, it's so important that leaders set the vision for an organization and that they give themselves space and time to be thinking about vision. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in that idea we talked about earlier of being like caught in the weeds. And I talked to one executive director, like, hey, somebody didn't show up and I needed to go and he described what he had to do. And it was very much a program function and I'm all for uh-huh. the willingness of a CEO to clean the vet, the toilets. I'm, I'm all, I work for an organization right. where we hate to save some dollars. We all chipped in every Monday, the whole office clean. We were given different responsibilities. We all went around, did that. Cool. But on a day-to-day basis, the leaders who should be setting the tone and the vision for the organization shouldn't be doing those functions. There's other people who can do them well. So setting vision, giving yourself space and time to be out ahead of everyone else on your team, not that you're more important than them or that you're, it's a top down kind of thing, but it's, you're the person who's seeing where the organization needs to go and helping guide them there. So, you know, I heard I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, a follower of Simon Sinek's work. And he's often said mm-hmm, that like a mm-hmm. CEO really shouldn't be a CEO. He should be a CVO, a chief visionary officer for mm-hmm, the organization. Mm-hmm. Cause a chief program officer is doing programs, a chief financial officer is 
doing finance. What's what's the chief executive offer, officer doing? Exe- executing? Okay. <laughs> Shouldn't be executing. Mm-hmm. You should be visioning. You should be thinking out ahead of everybody. So helping organizations and leaders think in terms of setting the vision, setting the tone. So that's how, like that might be related to strategic planning, which we do for with organizations. We walk alongside of them to mm-hmm. think of what's the plan for executing on your vision for the next three years so that you can just you know, follow that plan and be the visionary that's out ahead of that. And then on the messaging side, I just think it's so important that organizations focus on the words they use, you know, to describe who they are, what they do. So we work with organizations to determine their why statement, like, why do you do what you do? You know, because as Simon Sinek talks about, people are much more interested in why you do what you do than what you do or how you do it. So we start there Mm -hmm. and then we fill in the blanks with a pretty rigorous process of making sure your vision align, your mission and your vision align, that your programs are aligned to those and the words that you use to describe those things, that your positioning and your personalities in place, you have boilerplate copy, you know, for your about us page and for copying and pasting that into grant, you know, proposals and all of that. So the words you use both verbally, you know, and I, so that speaks all the way down to an elevator pitch, like what's everybody saying when they have that 30 second opportunity mm-hmm. to share about their work, let's get aligned on that. So we're all saying the same thing. So I think messaging is so mm-hmm. important, so vital. We live in a world where people are getting so many words, you know, thrown their way and, you know, tweets mm-hmm. and posts and social media that yeah. we have to be extremely clear about who we are and what we do. And then on the design right. side, I just think there's an opportunity for nonprofits to really elevate, you know, their their presentation to a community. I always say, why does the latest, greatest, you know, tech startup that's just well-funded have to have such better design than a nonprofit who often their website and the design of all of that, you know, their marketing and their materials and their collateral looks like it was done 15 years ago and never updated. Now, if you look at some of the best companies in the world, you could Google it right after this episode, you know, history of Apple's logo, history of Starbucks logo, and they're tweaking and changing it over time. As times are changing and design styles are changing, Mm -hmm. they're moving ahead and staying ahead of the curve on those. So I think there's a real opportunity for nonprofits to just be credible and to just fight through the noise and have people go to their website or get an annual report and be wowed by like, man, this is amazing. It makes me want to look at it rather than kind of turn my eyes away from it because it just looks like it was done in 1985, you know? I love when you say the why, because I probably like you um, look at a lot of nonprofit websites when, when nonprofits reach out and are inquiring about the services we offer. And I ask this about my own business too. So I'm not picking on, on nonprofits, Bill, you and I talked about that, um, yeah. about my website, but I, I think that if you go to a website and you, after spending more than, I don't know, you're the expert, not me, but if you spend more than like 30 seconds or less, probably 15 seconds, and you can't figure out what this business does, whether it's for profit or nonprofit, to me, that's a problem. And I will say that even with my own website, there's so much noise on websites oftentimes that what you do or why you do what you do is completely lost in the noise. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to nonprofit websites and I'm like searching because I'm going to get on a call and talk about their programming. I'm searching for how do I figure out what they do? And sometimes I'll look at their tax return, which is a little bit more summarized or sometimes more detailed depending on the, on the nonprofit. And I have to go there to figure out, okay, what is their programming? What, is, what specifically are they getting achievements on? Because that's listed in their tax return. And that, yeah. that oftentimes does not align with what's in their, um, 
with what's on their website, which tells me either their accounting has not been updated, which is very, very, very possible, or their website, which then kind of speaks to are either one of these really reflective of where the organization is trying to go and the impact that they're trying to make. So I've definitely seen that firsthand. firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. So we know we have these problems uh, as nonprofit leaders. What are some of the things that they can implement even as early as the next few weeks that could immediately add value to the work they're doing? Yeah, I think setting aside time to really have an honest evaluation of your leadership, where you're investing your time. You know, um, I use a time tracker to just really track myself and where I'm investing my time in my organization. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's important to just have an honest evaluation of where your time is being spent and where the time of your leader, your top leaders in your organization are investing their time. So, you know, just really stepping back and saying, are there enough people providing leadership with an eye on vision and not necessarily tactics in, in the day-to-day? -day? Like everybody has mm -hmm. tactics and we all have tasks or things to do regardless of what level right. of leadership you're in. But that should be less for those who are at the highest levels of leadership because their focus shouldn't be on checking you know off things on their to-do list it should be more on where's the organization headed how can i make sure that we're prepared to go there so that'd be one mm -hmm. and then kind of uh you know to speak to what you do i think financial management like looking at your finances and making sure that you're doing a good job you know tracking your finances, where they're going, making sure you have the right chart of accounts set up. So in the right way that you're looking at your finances as it relates specific to your organization. So you have a real sense of how you're investing your money because that speaks to, you know, because I thought of time and I thought of money as the two things that you can easily assess. Like, where am I spending my time? How are we investing our money and making sure that it's being invested well in the areas that are going to make us most effective as an organization that are going to help us you know, grow or achieve our goals over the next year, three years, five years. And then I also think of, and this, you know, may sound like sales pitchy for the work that you and I do, but I think hire outside help. You know, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I, I recently saw, I don't remember where I saw this, but it was in the last week, I saw um, a cartoon drawn of a person inside of a jar, a glass jar. And the person was, the article was communicating when you're in that glass jar, when you're in leading an organization that's like you're in a glass jar and you can't see your own label, you can look out through the glass jar and see other people's labels, mm -hmm. but you can't see your own label. It's because you're in it mm -hmm. so much because we're leaders of yeah. nonprofit organizations are in the work so much. They only know what they know because they're in it and they should be in it. So important mm -hmm. to have somebody who doesn't, who isn't in the jar with you to help you see your work from an outside perspective and say, hey, here are some things that I think you can do to strengthen your work um, from a perspective that because the people you're trying to connect with, both the people you're trying to connect as far as potential donors or potential beneficiaries of your services and programs, they're the ones who need to see clearly who you are and what you do. So you need somebody who's also outside the jar to be able to read the label mm -hmm. and maybe make some adjustments to that label. So it is clear to the, everyone else who's also outside the jar. So um, hiring mm -hmm. outside help is always vital and always been beneficial to me as I've led nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. And I would never go back and change that because it, it helped me tremendously. It helped me grow and help our organization grow. Yeah. I, I love so many, I, I jotted down a couple of notes while you were talking um, because a, a few lessons I learned, every single thing that you mentioned, I, I have lessons learned, hard lessons learned in that sense. Going back to time tracking, that sounds like a very daunting, tedious task, 
But I read something one time that if, if you are a leader and you're spending more than 30% of your time on just say a, a, some sort of function, right? Um, then it's time for you to carve that out into a, another position to kind of delegate that off of That's your great. plate so that you Love can it. then do more. So 30% of your time, so check, track your time, figure out what 30% is or more of any key yeah. function and then start figuring out that's like a new hire I need to have or that's something new I need to do. So, yeah. so that's something that I really take to heart. Um, and I've started implementing some of that for myself, right? So there are certain things that I definitely find myself doing 30% that, that someone else could do, yeah. I could train. So I've been very intentional about uh, creating different positions because I do believe that when people have very direct, um, clear, roles within organizations for profit nonprofit doesn't matter that people will thrive it's predictable it's clear they know where they're going when you have so when my firm was smaller i would have five people running around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to do a million and one things on any given day and everyone was just strapped and right my goal is to continue to carve out 30 percent then we have a new job 30 and not just for me but my chief operating officer my manager so we're constantly looking where are um, where are there opportunities to create new positions that will be very clear? So that's I love that about time tracking. It sounds very daunting, but there's an end goal in mind to start assessing. Yeah. To your point, like where what does that mean? One thing that I start doing too when you talk about creating space to be a visionary, if you're going to show up every day and run a marathon between you know I want to say eight to five, but let's be honest, it's probably more like seven to six or seven to seven um you're not going to be able to be creative and, and build your creative mind you, you know this creative is more sporadic burst of energy it comes to you but if you're bombarded with the noise and the distractions of putting out the fire um i remember uh, bill dealing with like overflowing plumbing when i worked for the nonprofit. like i'm not going to be visionary and creative when i'm dealing with plumbing crisis right one of the things that I do um, a couple times a year, uh, I take like a creative sabbatical. It doesn't mean I'm sitting on the beaches of Bali, you know, drinking fresh squeezed juice and journaling. Um, it was something as simple as I took a week off, um, off and I worked from home away from the noise and I didn't take any meetings and I really worked on building out a new division um, in a new project. So giving yourself permission and time to just think and be and create that vision, I think, I don't know a single nonprofit leader that frankly does that, um, especially on a regular basis. But And I would have never known to do that, but I've noticed that when I eliminate myself or remove myself from the, the distraction, the day-to-day -day marathons that I'm running, that's where all of these new fresh mm -hmm. ideas come from. Yeah. And you talked about hiring help. You know, one of the things that I've learned, you know, when I started, I'm a CPA, I'm an accountant, you know, right? Uh, and I can do the accounting, no problem. I'm pretty good at that. Um, but for my own survival and sanity, I had to surrender to the idea of hiring other people to help me, Bill, because people aren't going to know about me and hire me if they don't see that I exist, right? And mm -hmm. for me, I thought I was going to end up having a PhD in digital marketing, all of the self-taught that I was trying to do with digital marketing and web development, I'm learning code and all this craziness. I spent so many hours just exhausted, burnout, resenting the business, frankly, mm. because I was trying to teach myself how to do these things. Um, and the reality is I had to just hire people smarter than me. And I yeah. think what so many leaders do, I've been guilty of this myself, 
that I have to hire somebody and train. The problem is there is not a human out there that knows all of the things that all of the businesses need, right? I mean, they just don't. They don't, they're not going to know their accounting. They're not going to know web development. They're not going to know marketing. They're not going to know fundraising and programming and all that. You can't know all the things. And so I try to hire people that can teach me some things. Mm -hmm. So hiring people smarter than me, not just help. So the part-time person that doesn't have all the skills, they have a few of them, but you think you can train them over time. You're just now adding more work to yourself. So hire people yeah. who are going to teach you some things, right? Yeah. Bill, and you probably do that yourself. And I know I've had to do that. Um, I'm like, I just want to hire consultants to teach me a few things. So I know what to look for next time. And I've learned that yeah. hard way, the expensive way, because <laughs> yeah. I've hired yeah. a couple of different consultants and there's definitely a spectrum of talent, um, like any, like any profession, but um, yeah. So I echo all of those things. And I think you and I have hopefully yeah. had that hard lesson learned. Um, you know, when for-profits and nonprofits are not that unique, Bill, you know, when you started Groundswell, you had to learn how to build the business, run the business. It was just mm -hmm. you. I was the same way. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's very similar to those trying to start nonprofits and, and get those things up and running with very limited resources. I started in the same way. You started, I'm sure, the same way. Um, so all of these are certainly lessons, I think, to be applied towards so many different things. Yeah, so thank you for that. I, sure. I yeah. So no, and thinking of what you just said, I think, you know, we've got to do work on ourselves as well. You know, like we've got to set mm -hmm. aside that time to do our own work on ourselves to grow in our own level of security in who we are and who, how, what we bring to our organizations to be comfortable enough to hire people smarter than us. Because there was definitely a time in my mm -hmm. career where I wouldn't have done that because I'd be threatened by some having somebody that close that others might perceive as, wait, maybe that person should be the leader. They they seem smarter than Bill, you know, but mm -hmm. um, but that if we're, the more secure we are in ourselves, the more likely we're going to be like, hey, no, I we absolutely, if we want to be more impactful and serve our clients you know, uh, at a higher level, that's the, that's the kind of stuff we have to do. And, and there's going to be people that yep. are smarter than us always, and we should bring them around us to, to make our work stronger. Yes, exactly. I, I've had to surrender to the ego, uh, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> so many times and just say, I'm ultimately responsible for the results. So the path for which I get there, you know, if that means hiring smarter, better, faster people, um, and, and most people have it in their minds, right? That there can't be someone that will do this better than them. Um, and not because they're so arrogant, but they just obviously have been successful in their careers or in their lives because of the gifts and talents that they have. And I'm in a place now where my mission is for every task I used to do, every function, let's say function, because tasks are numerous, but functions, right? I want to find mm -hmm. someone better in accounting than I am to run you know, that part of the business, somebody better in marketing and visionary in that sense, better than I am, business development that can develop a rapport with our prospective clients, like even better than I am. So that, that's my goal now. Yeah, um, what great. I will do when I do all these things successfully, I have no idea. Um, people ask me that all the time because I'm so passionate right. and they talk often about this, but yeah. um, I think it's the best for the business, right? So speaking of hiring people better than you, um, Bill, you do so much amazing work for nonprofits and I've seen some of your work and it's fantastic really re-envisioning um, re or re-engineering the whole messaging and branding and image and first impressions oftentimes, which is digital now online, right? Through website, social, and that sort of thing. Um, you've done so much of that work with nonprofits and has had tremendous success. So tell us a little bit more about that work. How did you end up working for nonprofits in this capacity? Yeah, well, I've been in the nonprofit world for 
I'm dating myself by saying 30, 30 years going on 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, that's been my whole adult life and, you know, majority of my voc vocational, you know, pathway. Um, uh, my wife and I and a, a couple of close friends started a nonprofit organization in 2008 uh, that served local leaders in Guatemala City who were doing gang prevention and education in an urban settlement community in Guatemala City. And we started out without really knowing what we were doing, you know, in, in a lot of areas, you know, we'd all been in the nonprofit world, but to start one from scratch was brand new to us. And in, inherently, we just knew how you how we present ourselves to the world, like the work that was being done on the ground in Guatemala was amazing. Anybody who would go see that firsthand would be able to like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Some people need to know about this. So you thought, yeah, people need to know about this, but they need to notice it. It needs to stand out to them. It mm. needs to stand out among the rest of the other options that they have. So right away, we just got, you know, we started with as a brand new organization with zero dollars in revenue. Thankfully, we had people in our network who could do this is, you know, designing a, a really good looking logo and and selecting colors that stood out and putting a website together that told the story of the work that we were trying to support in a way that was simple clear and compelling. Um, so we did that. And every two years or so, we would just make sure that our brand was staying on track, that it was still clearly communicating the work that we did and that it was standing out, you know, so if that meant tweaking the logo or changing the colors or realizing like, Hey, that, that look is outdated now. Let's, let's refine our look. Mm -hmm. Like websites are starting to have a lot more white space. Let's make sure there's like, we're not cluttering all of our pages with tons and tons of content and images. Let's give right. people space to breathe, you know? So that just kind of got in us. So leading a nonprofit organization on the leadership side. So then we provide coaching, you know, as part of what we do, but then the messaging and design side, we realize that those two things go hand in hand, the words you use and the look and feel of your website or your annual reports or anything that you produce that gets in the hands of people or is seen by their eyes is the representation, especially websites today or social media. Like that's the representation. That's the, that's people's entree into your work. That's their introduction into your work. And that first impression is vital, you know? So um, then I started working, you know, organically had opportunities to coach other executive directors and some of the things that I had worked through I learned a lot by making a lot of mistakes mm. and learning from those lessons and having outside yep. help come in and help me I saw I suddenly became that outside help for some of those organizations and realized like mm -hmm. that's what I love doing I, I love I love that more than I love the job you know of like this is the organization this is my role yeah. I wanted to provide that kind of support that I had and that I realized was important to other organizations so I saw such it's like I perceive nonprofits and for those who are listening won't be able to see this but I perceive nonprofit leaders as and, le and nonprofit organizations as being some of the most important people and entities in our communities and in our world so they're like up here mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. the the messaging and design is often here it, it, it's much right. lower it's, it's it falls short of that um, that the, those amazing qualities that those people and those organizations have in our communities. And I see such an opportunity for organizations to elevate their message and elevate their design. So that's where Groundswell was born. It's this idea of wanting to get into the soil, you know, and help yeah. a groundswell of support, you know, be, be realized by organizations by getting our hands dirty and getting in kind of under the hood, so to speak, and and helping kind of refine an organization's messaging and design. So it's, it's our, our work was born out of a passion 
that I have for elevating nonprofits and having them seen as credible and respectable entities and organizations or in communities. Just like I said, some of the latest cool, trendy tech startups that are emerging in, in our cities. I love that. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to talk more about the work that you're doing, maybe to advise them, coach them on their own nonprofit or nonprofit they know, what, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Bill Cummings, and you'll see me connected mm -hmm. to Groundswell or, or you know, um, and then our website is meetgroundswell.com. So M-E-E-T groundswell.com. Um, we help organizations with social media. We don't spend a lot of time on it ourselves. So uh, social media is not going to be the place to find us. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, so our website, LinkedIn, and my email address is bill at meetgroundswell.com. And I'd love to set up a, a time to talk to people about, you know, what, what's important to them and the work that they're doing, serving the people that they serve. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bill. It was great having you on and, and great discussion, I think, overall. All right. Thank you, Tasha. Thanks for the, for the work you do. Thank you.